0: amen well let's turn our bibles to the book of james chapter one and we're going to begin this morning a series that hopefully by god's grace would go all the way through the book of james over the next several months While you're turning there, I want to thank those of you that have been praying for my family and I recently. Uh, Some of you know there have been bouts of sickness going out throughout our house, and at the same time as that's going on, I'm taking these trips up here for the week and back down there for the weekend, so lots of traveling. Uh, And as soon as people started praying, all of that stuff started going really well. So it's been a few days since anyone has been sick in the house, Uh, and the the church gathered together on Wednesday, and we prayed for that, and, and suddenly everyone was well, and we thank God for that. Uh, In the same way, my trips down and back have been very easy and smooth, and I think that's because the Lord is working through your prayer. So thank you guys for that. Uh, It makes me think of uh, one little conversation I had with my son Josiah this weekend. I was down there. I was driving him to Dairy Queen, and he was in the back seat, and he and I were talking about his best friend Colton. And uh, these are really good times for the Cook family because we're all really excited to be fully moved in up here for good. Uh, But they're they're sad times as well because, uh, you know, there's people we got to say goodbye to and hardships that come with that. And one of the hard things for Josiah is that he's going to have to say goodbye to his best friend, to little Colton. And so we're driving along and Josiah just kind of says out of the middle of nowhere, Dad, do you even remember when Colton and I met? And I said, yeah, I think so, buddy. I think it was, uh, I think it was the first time we ever went to church there when you were three years old. And he said, yeah, Colton and I were talking the other day and we, we can't remember when we met. And I said, buddy, have you, can you remember a time when you and Colton weren't friends? And he said, no, Colton's always been there. Um, And now in about a month, he's going to have to say goodbye to his best friend. Uh, That's in the middle of good times for our family. Even, Even in the best of days, Life can be so hard and so difficult. Life is not without its hardships. And it's so severe that even my little boy, who doesn't deserve to have to say goodbye to his best friend, is going to have to say goodbye to his best friend. And we all have different stories like this about how different our life is. Uh, Maybe you're stressed out working for a boss who just runs around like a chicken with his head cut off and doesn't know his right from his left or up from down. And you feel like you have to clean up your boss's messes all the time and you want to bite off the end of your computer sometimes, he stresses you out so much, constantly sending you rude emails asking you to do things you really shouldn't have to do, and you're already doing other things you shouldn't have to do. And just when you get done cleaning up his biggest mess, he sends you another four rude emails berating you about something else. Why does life have to be so hard? Why does work have to be so hard? Or Maybe your story is really different. Maybe you were just getting done taking care of your son who has the flu and staying up all night with him and helping him get better and, and wondering, okay, should I take him to the doctor or not? Or he has trouble breathing in the middle of the night? Do I take him to the ER or not? And All these tough decisions and snot is everywhere all over your house and, and finally starts getting better and you think I might sleep tonight and then your daughter starts to sneeze and you realize that your daughter has it too. Why does life have to be so difficult or for some of you, it's much more grave than that. Uh, maybe your spouse went in for a medical procedure and said the fateful words, I'll see you in a couple of hours, and you thought you would be driving your cranky spouse home, and instead you had to drive home alone because your spouse never came out of the procedure. Uh, I've talked to people that have that very story this week. Uh, And you go home instead of a house full of footsteps to a house that's just full of the ticking of clocks and the ringing of phones that you just let ring because you want to hear noise in your house. And you're just left to sit there and wonder, why does life have to be so hard? I bet with every single one of you, if I sat down with you, you would have a story like that about your life, something that hard and that difficult in your life that has left you wondering, why is life so difficult? God, why is life so hard? But thank God we have his word to guide us, right? A light in the darkness, in the darkest of nights, there is truth here that will get you through onto the next day, onto the next month, and on to the next year. Because you see, even when we were walking completely against God, He wanted us to go that way and we're going this way, even when we were rebels against Him, He sent His Son to die for us in our place, to offer forgiveness to you so that you could come back and walk in his ways and have his guidance even through the most difficult seasons of life. So by the blood of Jesus Christ, there's a word for us this morning that can help us through those hard times, that can help us to understand the hard things that have happened to us in the past, might be happening right now, and probably will happen in the future. So let's look together to the book of James chapter 1. It's on page 177 in your pew Bibles, but start at the end and work back because it's toward the end there. And we're going to read verses 2 through 4. This is James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Revolutionary words here. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing the word of God for the people of God and we thank God for it you know just in Sunday school today Uh, we were going around the table talking about prayer requests and just in one room we talked about a cheerleader that was dropped and cracked her vertebrae, a twisted and broken ankle, uh, a man who was recently widowed, uh, tragedy, just in one room, there is a variety of trials that we are walking through, just this and that, all kinds of different stuff, just that the dozen or so people in that room were walking through, and when we multiply it by this many people, just every different kind of trial. And James says, when you encounter various trials, Consider it all joy. Let me tell you about a friend of mine named Brienne who runs a fitness center in southern Indiana. Brienne and her husband Blair are family friends of Emily and I, and her husband Blair runs a plumbing business as well. They're great people. Uh, One day she asked me, She said, Hey, at the gym, we're thinking about offering a new type of coaching and training, and I need a guinea pig. Will you be my guinea pig? And let me, let me just test some things with you. And I said, sure. And she said, okay, well, this kind of training is going to revolve around things that the client wants to work on. So you're not going to work on what I tell you to work on. You're going to work on what you think you need to get better at. And I said, okay, great. I have the worst posture on earth. Why don't we work on my posture? And she says, Fantastic. Okay, so she come on down to the gym, meet me later this week, we'll figure it out. So I come into her office and we talk a little bit about posture and about how to sit. And evidently when you sit in a chair, you have to put both feet flat on the floor. That's the way to take care. I didn't know that. All kinds of stuff like that. And then she takes me to this wall. And she says, okay, put your whole back, everything, up against the wall. Back of your head, back of your feet, everything. And uh, so I do like that. And she gets her phone out and takes a picture of the curvature of my back. And then she goes to the other side and takes a picture of the curvature of my back on my other side. And she's a really positive person. And so I know that she was talking, talking, talking. And then she, she sees the curvature of my spine. And now she doesn't have anything to say anymore. And so I know what she's thinking. And I can see it in the corner of her eyes. Wow, you really do have terrible posture. Wow, we have so much to work on here. Uh, And so she finishes up what she's doing with the measurements so we have a baseline for later. And she gets this kind of positive smile in her eyes and says, Okay, so we got a few things to work on. And uh, so she gives me a couple exercises. She says, stay back up against the wall and put your arms up like in a field goal position like this. And so I'm like, OK, I can do that. Uh, and she said, OK, now your wrists, your shoulder, every, everything has to touch the back of the wall without lifting anything off the back of the wall once you to lift your arms over your head. And I'm like, oh, this is one of those exercises that doesn't feel like an exercise. Awesome. I like those. And so I start, and I get about this far. And that's as far as i could go and the muscles in the back of my right between my shoulder blades are just screaming at me like what are you doing to us this is not what we were designed to do and i can't get but like a third of the way up there and i'm like am i I doing it And so I put my hands down. I'm like, did I do it? And she said, yeah, you're doing it right. She said, you know, the muscles there, they're just weak and that's why we're working on them. The more you do it, the more flexible you'll get, the better you'll be able to do it. And sure enough, she was right. The more I did it, the more it hurt, but the more that it worked. And so, you know, I had done a third of one exercise and my muscles are screaming at me never to do this again. And so with her like trademark positive smile, she says, okay, you know, three sets of 12 of those a couple times a week and you should be just fine. (laughs) Why are you talking? I can't even do one of these exercises. You're crazy. Well, well, I go home and I, you know, eventually I figure out I'm able to do it. And uh, sure enough, I mean, that exercise hurt so bad, but I kept doing it even though it hurt. Uh, and sure enough, my back got stronger and my shoulder blades started getting closer together like they're supposed to be, just like it was designed to be. Because even though it hurt, I had no reason to complain. Why did I not have any reason to complain? It was supposed to hurt. That was part of it. The exercises were there to make me stronger. And so I trusted my coach, who knew what she was doing, and I walked right through it, even though I was wincing in pain. Well, James says here in these verses we just read, that you need to look at the suffering in your life the way that you should look at a good gym workout. Yes, it hurts. Yes, for just about every second of it, you would rather it be done with, but it's there to make you stronger, and so you thank God for it. Now, every workout has a goal, right? You might lift weights so that you can lift more weight later on. You might do a balance workout so that you can have better balance when you're playing football or basketball or something like that. You might do physical therapy to repair an injury, or you might run a really long distance to build up your endurance. And the workouts that God is giving you through your trials and through your suffering, through the pain in your life, have one particular goal. There's a goal in mind, and that goal is endurance. That's what he says in verse 3, right? He says, The testing of your faith produces endurance. So that is the point of every hardship in your life endurance. Now Paul says the same thing differently in Romans 5. He says that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance builds character, but James says that here the testing of your faith produces endurance. They're saying the same things in different ways. So if you get your gym shorts on after church today, and in the freezing cold because you're crazy, you go out there in your gym shorts, and you run as far as you can run. Let's say that's like a half a mile right now. You run a half a mile in the cold, in your good shoes, and in your gym shorts, and when you're done, you are going to be in pain, right? If that's the farthest you can run and you run the whole thing, you're, you're going to be hurting, aren't you? And you're going to go home and you're going to be hurting the next day, you're going to be hurting. And two or three days later, you won't be hurting anymore. And if you put the gym shorts back on again and you put the shoes back on again and you go out again, you'll be able to run a little bit farther, right? And if you keep doing this, you'll get to run farther and farther because you'll be building up endurance. Well, the sufferings in your life have the same goal. They are to build up endurance in you. And the word that he uses to talk about this, he says, the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now, you might read that and think of like a pass-fail test or like a, a chemistry test or something like that. It's not that kind of test. It's not a test that you can pass or fail. So he's not putting the suffering in your life to see if you have endurance. That's not what's going on. No, he's using the word instead that they talked about when they're talking about gold being refined by fire. Uh, This is the way that gold is refined, right? The stuff comes out of the earth and it's got all kinds of impurities in it, right? It's not your beautiful wedding ring when it comes out of the earth. It's got all kinds of other stuff in it. And so to purify it, to refine it, they send it through a very hot fire, And it stays there for a specified amount of time, and it gets very soft, and it begins to melt, and all the impurities rise to the top because of the flames, and then they can just wipe off those impurities, and now you have a beautiful, pure piece of gold because that gold has been tested by fire. That's what that word means. This is the same word being used here. Your faith is being tested. It's being sent through the fire, not to find out if it's real or not. No, it's being sent through the fire in order to purify you, in order to give you endurance and make you stronger and better, like a pure brick of gold, not like a rough, scraggly piece of gold that has just come out of the ground. So the question you might ask then is, why would God want to give you endurance? Well, verse 4 says why. Verse 4 says it is to complete your character. It says it this way. It says, And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So do you see the logic here? Suffering produces endurance. Endurance for long enough produces perfect, complete character. It's very similar to what Paul said. Uh, It produces perseverance, which produces character. Now, you might read that and you might be saying, actually, what one of us said earlier today, well, nobody's perfect, right? So what could, what could that mean that we need to be perfect and complete? Well, Don't worry, that's not what James means when he says perfect. Uh, The word perfect in the Bible can mean, like we think of it, like sinless and completely perfect. Or it can mean just complete, right? Like you're painting a painting, and when you're done, you say, okay, now it's perfect, and you're done with it. That doesn't mean it's the greatest painting of all time. It just means that you're done with it. Well, that's what James means here, and you know that because he says perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So there is an end goal To all the suffering in your life then and it is complete character. God wants for you to have well-rounded complete character that doesn't have any big gaping flaws in it that isn't lacking in any major area. He wants you to be a sound person with complete character because the goal of everything that James is writing here and the goal of the entire book of James and all of the suffering in your life is completeness of character for you. The Lord wants you to be like that picture in Psalm one, right? The 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 one that is planted, the tree planted by streams of water, right? Roots dug down deep into the Word of God, a strong trunk that can weather storms, bearing its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, right? Because of, because a of full, well-rounded character forged in the fires, forged by the Word of God. Now, the best way I can think of to describe complete character, what he's talking about here, the goal of God's suffering in your life, is actually to compare it to a building, Uh, because we talk about integrity of buildings a lot, don't we? And the Lord wants integrity of character in your life. And so a building that has integrity doesn't have any major flaws that are going to cause the whole building to collapse, right? And we even have a building and grounds committee here in our church, and their job is to keep the building sound and useful. And if there's money left over to make it pretty, too, Uh, they want integrity in the building. Because if this building doesn't have integrity, well, then the whole thing is going to collapse. So imagine if right in the middle of this roof here, there was just a 10-foot-wide hole right there, and nobody did anything about it. For, for months and years, we just left the hole there, left us exposed to the elements. What would happen? Well, the first rain or snow would come and there'd be water damage all over here. Eventually, that would get into the walls. It would probably make the hole bigger. Eventually, the foundation would start to crack. And if left long enough untended, the whole building would come down, right? And so we would say that that building doesn't have integrity, right? It all depends on itself. All the pieces are not there. That building doesn't have integrity. Uh, similarly, the house that Lumi and I live in now, when we first moved in there, the inspector discovered a crack in the foundation, and we had to spend a pretty good sum of money to fix that crack, even though we couldn't see it, and it didn't affect our lives at all right now. But if the building doesn't have integrity, it's only going to be a matter of time before the buildings come down, because storms are going to come, and rain is going to pelt the walls and pelt the roof, the winds are going to blow, the rain, uh, the, sorry, the, the waves are going to crash, and if the building's not ready for it, it's going to fall. Well, the Lord wants that same kind of integrity in your life and in your character. Uh, He says the one who builds their house upon the rock is like the one who builds their life on my teachings, right? You build your life on Jesus' teachings, you're like the one built on the rock. And the, the rains come, the storms come, the waves crash, and that house doesn't fall, right? Well, so it is with the one whose whole life is built on the teachings of Jesus. And so let's think then about what that might look like in a person's life. Let's say you've got a person, let's say we've got a young man who's really promising for leadership. You know, people love working around him and love being around him. He's got a lot of gifts. Uh, He's walking with the Lord. We're really proud of him. But he's got a weakness for women. How easy would it be for Satan to break into his life and tear the whole thing down? It'd be too easy. And so he doesn't have integrity. It'd be far too easy for a storm to come in and tear his whole life down just because of one flaw. But it's a significant enough flaw that it could tear down the whole building. Well, the Lord says in 1 Peter that our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We have that kind of enemy out there after us. Uh, He says in the book of Acts that through much tribulation the kingdom of God comes. So if you're going to make it through that and be useful to him, not forfeit your usefulness to him, then you can't have any glaring flaws in character because it's just too easy for Satan to get in there and tear the whole thing down. That's why 2 Timothy 2.1 says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, and, here's the important part, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. The Lord wants to round off those rough edges and finish off our character so there aren't any glaring flaws and we can be useful to him. Because if any window is broken or if the foundation is cracked or if the roof is torn up in our lives, it's just too easy for the storms or for Satan to get in there and mess us up. By the same way, what would happen if there were a woman in the church who was godly and we wanted to be like her? except she had a terrible anger problem. I mean, she just bit her husband's head off whenever, whenever he did the slightest thing that even felt wrong. Her kids walked around the house like they're walking on eggshells because they never know when mom's gonna blow up at them. How easy would it be, even though this woman has tons of virtues, how easy would it be for Satan to get into her life and break down all of her most important relationships and ruin so much of her life? Why would that be so easy for him? Well, because the building doesn't have integrity. The building's got to have integrity to stay safe from all of Satan's attacks. That's why God is doing what he's doing in your life. That is why life is so hard. God is putting those difficulties in your life to give you endurance, to round out your character, so that when the great storms and attacks from our enemies come, you are ready, so you have integrity, and you're ready to handle it. So that's why God's doing what he's doing. That's why life is so hard. But James tells us how we should handle it, too. So far, we've just talked about what God has been doing, but we've got a role in this as well. Look at verse 2 with me. We'll go back to verse 2. The first couple words, which give the only real command in this, in this part— He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. So God's job, God's work is to put these trials in our life to give us endurance so that our character will be complete. Your job is to cherish the fact that he's doing that. Your job is to cherish the most difficult things about your life, which I know sounds crazy because who wants to suffer? Who wants to go through pain? But the Lord is using it for good in your life. And if you want that well-rounded, complete character more than you want your suffering to end, well, then you're going to thank God for your trials too because you know what he's doing in your life. He's making you whole and he is making you complete. He's either giving you integrity or he is maintaining your integrity. There are several just oak trees of saints here in this church that have had integrity for a long time. And if that's you, the Lord is still putting things in your life to keep that endurance up and maintain that integrity. And for the rest of us, he just wants to sand off those rough edges and give that to us. So when you're tempted then to just harden your face in bitterness... Because of your sufferings, just question God's goodness to you. Question whether he's really in control over all this, whether he really loves you and cares about you. Why would he put this in my life if he loves me and he cares about me and you just get firmer and firmer with your foot down in bitterness against what's going on? James says, no, he says count it all joy. All of those trials, the multicolored, varied, the litany of trials and hard things that are just coming at you like a machine gun, count them all joy or maybe differently if you're tempted to hide your hardships right because you know we can't have other people knowing that we're as messed up as everybody else right you know and sometimes you something goes bad and you don't want people to know your life is out of control and so we're tempted to kind of sweep it under the rug and hide it because we're ashamed of our suffering well James says no if you want integrity and, and well-rounded character as much as God wants it for you you're not going to be ashamed of your trials. You're going to consider it a joy that you're suffering. You're going to thank God for your trials, and then you'll finally maybe open up enough that you can tell someone about it and suffer along with someone else that you can share and those things together. It's the cure for wanting to hide all of our trials when we count it a joy. So I told you about my friend Brienne earlier, and I'll tell you another thing about her line of work about running a fitness center, uh, and that is. Uh, she is just now catching her breath from the crazy busy month of January in gyms. I don't know if you've ever been to a gym in January or not, but don't go to a gym in January, whatever you do. It's a madhouse. I mean, the desk has a line a mile long of people ready to sign up, and everybody's doing their first workout of the year, their first workout ever on the machines. You've got to wait forever to get a machine. Why are all these people there? You probably figured it out, right? New Year's resolution, right? This is the year I'm going to get in shape, right? And where are they all on February 15th? They're not at the gym. I'll tell you that much, right? Because what happens, I mean, you get so excited about it. And you sign up at the desk. And man, you sign up for the whole year because you're going to stick with it, you know? You're going to do this. And you pay for that whole year in advance. And you go grab your towel. And you change into your fancy gym clothes. And you get on that elliptical machine or weightlifting machine or whatever it is. And about 10 minutes into it, you realize what you you forgot about exercise, that it's miserable, right? <laughs> and so, you know, 10 minutes into it, you're like, oh, I forgot that exercise actually isn't very fun at all. And so you literally take the towel and you throw it in and you're out of there. And so then people like the rest of us can all go back to the gym in February because all those people are gone. Well, every once in a while though, something different happens. Every once in a while, Someone will go through almost all those same steps, they'll sign up, they'll pay the whole year in advance, they'll go sit down or lay down at the weight machine, and they will struggle to lift 125 pounds and catch their breath and just be amazed at how hard it was. Go home, recover, and by some miracle, they'll come back for a second workout. And then they'll get the same 125 pounds and they'll, str- oh, actually, it wasn't as hard to lift this time. Oh. I guess I'm a little stronger than I was before. And then it clicks in their head, oh, if 125 was a little easier than it was last time, let's ratchet this thing up to 130. Let's see what we can do. And then they'll struggle to lift 130 pounds, and it will click in their minds that the pain from the last workout has led to strength. Now that 125 just became 130. Hey, I bet if I come back in a couple more days, I can maybe hit 135. And then if we keep going, 140 and then 150 and 160. Man, the sky's the limit. And they've figured out that the pain of exercise and the pain of workouts leads to more strength. And they've even seen numbers on the machine that correlate with that. And when that happens, that person is hooked. We call them a gym bro, like they're just at the gym all the time because they're hooked. Why are they hooked? Well, I mean, they're sitting there lifting the weights and just screaming out in pain. You know, the loud guy in the gym just screaming out. And then he's like, oh, that felt so good. And you're like, what are you talking about? That's so painful. Why does he think it feels good? What's going on with him? He's figured out that the pain of a workout, the pain of exercise, leads to strength later on. And so he cherishes it. He wants more. He feels his muscles tearing and he says, yeah, I love that. What the Lord wants for you from this word right here, he wants you to look at the trials and sufferings in your life the same way that that crazy gym guy looks at the pain of his workouts. Yeah, it hurts. But there's something sweet about it, isn't there? There's something good, there's something good about it that makes you say, thank God for this. Why? Because you want integrity. You want complete character, and that's how God is giving it to you. Let's pray.